0: Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're going to talk about disability and the church. And joining me today to talk about this topic is friend of the pod, Brittany Hurlbert, who works at a school in Durham, England, supporting students with special needs. How's it going, Brittany?
1: It's going great over here.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you became passionate about ministering and supporting those with disabilities.
1: Yeah, so my first real job was working at a school as a teaching assistant. And then the classroom that I was put in, the majority of the students had special needs. A lot of them had autism. Before this job, I um, actually wanted to kind of take a completely different career path and be an occupational therapist more on the sports medicine side. From then, just changed what I wanted to pursue at university and what mm. I wanted to um, do in terms of, of work.
0: So tell us a bit more about autism itself. What is it and what are some misconceptions about it that could maybe be cleared up?
1: Autism was first described in um, 1943 by an Austrian American psychiatrist by the name of, name of Leo Kanner. And he was conducting research and doing studies. And he wrote about um, these children who he described as extremely um, autistic um, in loneliness, so being extremely by themselves, to themselves, and having a desire for sameness, shared a commonality in delayed echolalia or speech. With those things, yeah, it comes to a definition that is widely used today in that autism is a lifelong developmental disability that affects how a person communicates with and relates to other people and how they experience the world around them. And this definition is um, widely used and it's from the UK National Autistic Society. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite a few years since um, the discovery or first description of autism. And even from that definition, you get kind of tell that it sounds really broad. Yeah, even though it's been quite a few years, there are still a lot of unknowns about it. So yeah, in terms of its prevalence, current research suggests that it affects some studies say one in 200 persons or even as high as one in 50 persons. Hmm. So there's a really, yeah, a high prevalence. There's a discussion with those statistics about, you know, if that is due to us in these times having more tools or resources to diagnose, or if in fact it is more prevalent now versus in 1943 um, when it was first described in the years following.
0: Mm -hmm. And could you maybe say a clarifying word about the relationship between Asperger's and autism?
1: So the autism spectrum, it, on one end, it goes from mild to profound in the way that autism expresses itself in the individual. So on the more mild um, end, if you will, of the spectrum, it could look like somebody who is verbal can use verbal communication and doesn't necessarily need or require a lot of day-to-day support, so they might be pretty independent. So, um, moving to the profound side, someone who might be nonverbal or limited, limitedly verbal, who needs a lot of support in their day-to-day life. So, Asperger's is now um, deemed to be just a part of the yeah the wider autism spectrum, but Asperger's would describe. Someone who might be in comparison to profoundly affected, more on the mild end of the spectrum, if you will. So they might just have challenges, difficulties in social um, communication. Yeah, and a lot of the, at this point in time, the most reliable current research indicates that autism is the result of a different neural wiring in the brain or an expression of genes that is different to the wider population. So amidst all the unknowns, that is where the most current research is at in terms of kind of describing neurologically what autism is.
0: And what about some misconceptions about autism, maybe some incorrect, imprecise ways of thinking about what it is?
1: Yeah, so... One of them that is that it's a psychological disorder caused by harmful or even abusive parenting. And then another one is that it's triggered by exposure to certain toxins that either prenatal or postnatal that the person has been exposed to.
0: So the anti yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: and um, both of those theories have either been disproved or there's really weak evidence Right. To support any sort of truth to them, mm-hmm.
0: Brittany, have you read Grant McCaskill's new book, Autism and the Church?
1: Yes, I have. Yeah, I thought it was, yeah, really, really great and forward-thinking, and I think has all of, you know the current research and on this topic, and yeah, it was really helpful, and I would definitely recommend it.
0: So, what about? The biblical teaching about disability, what does what does scripture have to say for us?
1: Yeah, the Bible doesn't necessarily specifically talk about autism because mm, of course mm-hmm. it didn't exist in biblical times or we right. didn't have, you know, a name for it. Although the Bible does talk about humanity. Yeah, Genesis 126, in which it describes humanity as being created in the image and likeness of God. So, yeah, as these image bearers, we all as humanity share in, in the rational world together. Um, so I think these verses, yeah, might seem at first a bit like, of course, but when you kind of, yeah, really think about it in terms of these actually are relevant to, you know, viewing people with varying types of abilities. I think, yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah, furthermore, like there are a lot of questions around the topic of disability, specifically autism, and the question of, should it be cured? You know, should we want these people to be cured? And at this point in time, there is no known cure for autism. There are treatments and therapies that can offer support for all the challenges that go along with autism but no known cure, we shouldn't be so quick to necessarily seek seek out those cures with wrong motivations. So wanting the person, the individual to be more normal and that kind of as a motivation for finding a cure. Of course, there don't want to downplay, there are so many challenges for the person themselves um, and um, potentially family members, friends. But I think we should be careful in thinking that way, because I think it could become a bit, yeah, a bit dangerous um, in terms of wanting yeah wanting them to be to become normal or what society deems as as yeah. normal. so with this question of should we want these people to be cured, looking at the New Testament and particularly the Gospels in which Jesus performed healings to people who often had One could say disabilities. Um, So for example, you know, healing those who are blind, lack of sight, people who weren't able to hear. I think it's important that we kind of look at these verses and see what the intention, what the goal of the healings were and what they what that was trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. So after these, a lot of these healings, in which people regain their sight, he almost always said, Now go tell your family friends about me. So with that, I don't think it was ever intended to be the new normal. I think these healings were significant in themselves and that they were displaying God's power, you know, pointing to Jesus, that he is the Messiah. He is who he says he is.
0: Yeah, the healing uh, episodes in the gospels are particularly tricky in disability and scholarship mm-hmm. conversations. Have you heard of Amos Young's uh, theology and Down syndrome?
1: Yeah, I haven't read much, but yes, I've heard.
0: Yeah, one of the things that he argues is that, you know, in the resurrection, um mm. if we were to argue that people with Down syndrome would no longer have down syndrome that would kind of like erase you know their humanity and yeah. uh it would so fundamentally change like who they are and mm-hmm. uh, i i think that's a very interesting idea um you know still wrestling through that one but
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know yeah just in general the whole conversation about healings and what new creation looks like relative mm-hmm. to Those of differing and varying ability, I think, is a really tricky topic for sure. Mm.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So how should the Bible's teachings, some of the things that we've kind of just described, shape the way that we view those with disabilities, those of differing uh, neurotypes?
1: Yeah, it's important to love people, not just in spite of the diagnosis or the label, but to love them beyond it, not always maybe necessarily linking certain behaviors or things they do to, oh, it's just, you know, they have autism or making that some sort of apology, if you will. Um, And -hmm. I think going along with that, getting to know them for who they are as a human and apart from their, the diagnosis, the autism, the disability, whatever it is, getting to know their personality, what they love, what they hate, you know, who they truly are as an image bearer of God. Yeah, it may sound basic, but it's so important. And I think sometimes it's easy to maybe lose sight of of that.
0: So what can we as Christians do within the wider and local church to become a more inclusive gathering of people with
1: varying abilities? So first and foremost, I would say that we need to listen more to the people who have disabilities those with autism those who are nonverbal so those who don't use verbal speech in the same way we do mm-hmm. listen to them in terms of their you know body language other types of communication that they use i think we should be better at listening to them and then those who have the ability to use verbal language and communicate. I think asking what can we do? Just listening more and asking those questions, it could be and I'm guilty of this, easy to take what I've learned in being a therapist to use a certain strategy if an individual, you know, with a disability or autism is having a difficult time to kind of say, "Okay, I'm going to do A or B without first listening to the individual. So I think it's important to not be so quick to, I don't know, try to have a solution or to fix the problem, quote unquote, whatever it is. Again, back to the, to the listening, we need to do it more.
0: Yeah, I also think there's a, a dynamic where it shouldn't be strictly one way, you know, where yeah. where it's like, okay, how can we help? How can we serve? Um, I also think kind of like what you're saying about, you know, listening, that posture is helpful. But I also think looking for ways to minister alongside and with people of varying ability, as we're yeah. all we're all created in God's image, as you so helpfully reminded us and Part of what that means is ruling and reigning in that ancient Near Eastern understanding of the image of God. Mm-hmm. Thinking about how together, right, we rule mm-hmm. and reign, we rule and reign over creation. Uh, I think you know something along those lines can really be empowering if we think about the role and the place of those uh, with disabilities in our churches is not just a, a you know a people for us to serve, but people to serve as well. And yeah. trying, to mm-hmm. think, trying to think about what that could look like in different local church contexts and with different individuals, you know, within our churches, I think something mm-hmm. like that would be helpful as well. Do you have any thoughts about that? What that could or should look like?
1: Yeah, I think it could look like a lot of different things. And I think it's within the, the recognizing of the gifts that everyone, um, varying abil- abilities bring. We should draw upon and be united and um, serve one another one another in. and I think one thing, I guess, yeah, more specifically, sometimes people with with autism can be said to be too blunt or even mm-hmm. misinterpreted. something they have said a lot of times are misunderstood, but I think we should be more attuned and yeah, be humble in that mm-hmm. maybe that's something, that specific thing is something either we individually or the church needed to hear. <laughs> and so I think knowing that they're as valuable as anyone's voice and that mm-hmm. we should take them um, as such because their voice matters.
0: What are some things that you have learned personally from working with people with special needs, people with autism, you know, things that you've learned from them directly, like they've taught you about what it means to be human, what it means to be a Christian, you know, these sorts of things. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, how varying and different and awesome that, that God created us so differently from each other. His creativity made everyone so unique and so different, mm-hmm. but united in Christ all the same. And, yeah, I really hope that more people, especially those with autism or other, with other types of varying abilities themselves, along with people working in the fields, people who are parents or carers, friends, people with who have autism or disabilities, will continue this, this conversation and become, as a result, more united in society um, and more inclusive and more united as a church. And I really hope that there will be continued theology developed on this topic, because I think that's really important in furthering our understanding of um, this topic.
0: All right. Well, thanks for that, Brittany. It's been wonderful chatting with you and thinking more about how we as a church can be more inclusive towards those with Disabilities of and, and varying abilities uh, of different sorts. Thinking about how we can uh, minister alongside them, learn from them directly, recognizing that everybody is created in the image of God and that we've all been gifted in different ways, and that God intends for us to be united people as His church. Thanks for joining us today, Brittany.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: like more engagement of theology, culture, and discipleship from the Two Cities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. If you like the content that we put out here on the Two Cities podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.